How you doing, everybody? Thanks for joining us again on the podcast. I appreciate you. You know, I started this podcast a few, well, near enough, coming up to 10 months ago. And the reason why I really started it is because I wanted to hear people's stories. I love to hear people's stories from all walks of life. And it didn't really matter what the subject was about. If you've got something to say, I'll give the platform to say it and voice it and share their opinions and their experiences. Now, this episode today, I am joined by something. I'm going to talk about a subject that I didn't know much about. I was very naive to it. And the guest today opened my eyes up immensely to the seriousness of it and what it actually can do to a person and their family and uh, ruin their lives, basically. Let's put it bluntly. Now, today's guest, I am joined by Joshua Shea. Now, Joshua is a porn addict. We go through a lot of detail of his addiction, how it stemmed, what, how he realized that he had a problem and how it actually made him hit rock bottom and it, it's it's a fascinating story as I said I didn't know this was such a massive problem but it, Joshua goes through it in a lot of detail and he also talks about how to overcome it and how to realise it and that you don't there is help out there for people who understand it and it's an ongoing problem now we do go through a number of different subjects some might think it's a bit inappropriate some people might think it's uh, not suitable but it's a warning for you now, if you don't like this sort of stuff, switch off now, I'm not going to knock you for it, go for it. But if you want to listen to it, it does get a little bit dark in places, please, listen to the story that Joshua explains. He's written, th- he's written three books about this, he wants to help people, but the only way he can help is to highlight the problem. So guys, if you do listen to this and you realise that you know somebody with this sort of problem with porn addiction or any sort of addiction at all, get in touch. Joshua has written three books about this. He helps people. He's got a number of different websites and um, places that and contacts that we can get in touch with, which I'll put at the bottom of the description. So, guys, without further ado, please welcome Joshua Shea. Josh, how you doing? How's things? Uh, well, I'm now cleared up. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm doing quite well. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's uh, what, What's it like over your neck of the woods at the minute? Are you still in quarantine? What's up? What's going on? Uh, I live in Maine, which is the uh, most northeastern state in the U.S., and uh, we have done a very good job. Uh, in the Northeast, I think more than any other section of the U.S., we took this very, very seriously early on and really did the lockdown thing the moment it all started. And when it came to reopening, we waited and we did it in phases. So uh, some of the maps they're showing of the U.S. right now are scary with how the infection is increasing. Uh, But my part of the country, that isn't happening because I think we did it right the first time. And I think that uh, a lot of these other states could look at the northeast part of the United States and see how we took a very conservative measured approach early on. And that allowed us to have a reopening that was somewhat organized where now you've got places like florida and california and texas that are having to roll back and are closing everything up again 
because they opened, they opened it up too early. I was going to say, um, are they shutting down again? Are they in the ELA cat out of the lockdown sort of thing, are they? Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely worse in certain places where I am, you know, it's, uh, it, it hasn't been too bad. I have always, at least for the last five, six years worked from home anyway. Um, I don't have a giant, uh, base of friends that I see, uh, out and about anymore. So I've kind of been socially distancing and practicing this thing for years. Uh, so when this all came down back in March, it was pretty easy for me to do. I just, had to you know ration my toilet paper a little more closely um but it was yeah it it, is, it hasn't been too bad for me um thankfully yeah. um you know i just it's 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 wreaked havoc on my wife's work my son's school um yeah. but my life is sitting in front of this computer and not much has changed i know and it means we're on what month four now since it all really kind of messes all up uh, the lockdown stuff and I, I mean i've done so many i've done about 15 of these episodes during the lockdown period and i just get do you know something it's it, you always have to chat about it because everyone's different everywhere's different does right. it definitely and i'm just really I'm, I'm i'm really hoping for the time that i just don't need to talk about it anymore you know when you first yeah. open it's like oh i can't be bothered but, talking it, about but this. there are so few international shared experiences True. i mean we have weather um you know we we travel but there's so few real-time instances where you can stop and say we are living through history right now and yeah. we're such a pop culture information society at this moment that something like this uh virus was absolutely made for tv and made for the uh soundbite lives that we have these days so <laughs> you know what are, what are we going to do other than talk about it and text about it and tweet about it true and i know that's the thing how many movies in the next 10 years are going to be made of this and um how many conspiracy documentaries are going to be know, made about I, this i know there's going to be a lot of conspiracy documentaries of of course, Love it. but I wonder if people are going to give it a break on the, you know, uh, 28 days later kind of stuff, <laughs> because, you know, you watch those movies and you think this could never happen. And now we're sitting here going, oh, I, I, this right now is just that time early on where at the very beginning of the movie where they say in the early days of the virus, that's, it. that's just what we're living through now. It's, you know, it the real, the real hell hasn't rained upon us yet. Hopefully it doesn't, but <laughs> I think, you know, we're just in those first few opening scenes where they kind of throw up the titles and say, you know, in the early days of the virus, people yeah. thought it was nothing and kept shopping and kept going out to restaurants and things, think masks didn't work. And, the newspaper uh, clippings always came up in the news yes. news. Yes, yeah. exactly, That's exactly. It. That's where we are in the movie right now, and ho hopefully it's a short film and not, not a long <laughs> yeah, it's Hopefully it's a goddamn short film, but it extends longer than this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, oh, there's going to yeah. be Shaun of the Dead style people walking about, zombies <laughs> eating people. That's it. That's it. That's I, I don't know if I could take that. I've, I've had enough. Yeah. There's not there's not enough Netflix content on Netflix for me to have another lockdown. Let's put it that way. No, no. Um, I yeah. actually I just bought the new Disney streaming thing. I did that. So as well. I could watch all the movies from the early '80s, or yeah. or they, they, the movies were from the '70s, but I watched them all in the early and mid '80s yeah. when I was a kid. So every night I've been watching a different like Dean Jones movie movie like oh, snowball express or you know son of flubber or you know the uh they'll be the straight to dvd movie sort of thing in it 
Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I'm just slowly working my way through all the streaming. Uh, That's just right. With the, the Disney Plus, right? Because I've got a daughter. She just turned five last week. And she, she, she loves Disney. So I'm like, oh, cool. I've got Disney Plus. I can show her all the old school Disney films that you're talking about. And she's like, no, no, Frozen, Frozen 2. It's all I want to watch. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you've got some crackers on there, like Hercules and Aladdin and all that sort of stuff, some old classics. No, it's all about Frozen. And I'm just like, for God's sake, you don't know how you to live, kid. you got to let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. If it's not punny, it's not funny, Josh, I tell you. Fantastic. So, I mean, I want to go into a few bits. There's a reason, obviously, I wanted to give you a chat because you've got a message to come out. You've just released um, a new book, haven't you? Uh, which yeah, is my third book. Third book, I was going to say, one of three. And it's, it's about a little bit of a, I don't want to say a touchy subject. It's a bit more of like a, um, a subject that nobody really talks about. It's one of those sort of like kind of um, blase things that people just kind of brush yeah, over. Yeah, I, I, I describe it as taboo. When, that's, uh, the, that's the word I was looking for. I'm so happy okay. you came out. Taboo subject. Nobody really wants to talk about it. But explain it to me uh, what the book's about and, and oh, in your own words sort of thing and what's the, the inspiration behind it and what happened. Uh, well, you know, uh, we, we can go one by one or whatever. But I, yeah, uh, yeah, let's go for it. Let's I, start I, from the beginning. Well, I, yeah, I just say I am a uh, journalist and writer by trade. I started working at my local newspaper in the sports department when I was 17 years old. And with a uh, little exception here and there through the rest of my life, I'm 44 now, I have worked as either a newspaper writer, a newspaper editor, magazine writer. I actually owned a magazine for a while. Uh, I've always worked in journalism and news. That's yep. my background. Uh, when everything went down with my porn addiction, um, I ultimately made the decision to write my first book, which was largely uh, two stories. It's the rise and fall of the magazine that I ran uh, in coordination with the rise and fall, or, or I should probably say more, the increase of use in pornography and then my ultimate right. fall. Uh, that was my first book that came out because I wanted to write a book for people to show them, uh, bo both addicts and you know the civilian population, that anybody could be a porn addict. Mm. I owned two companies at the time. I was on my city council. Uh, I created a film festival that was very popular in my wow. part of the country. So I was very active in the community, kind of that whole local celebrity thing going on. Yeah. Um, I know who you are and you're quite well respected yeah, and all that sort absolutely. of stuff. Absolutely, and, and I loved it. Uh, but I, I hid the fact I had a porn addiction that got, went back to being a kid. And I think that people view the porn addict is some pervert you know 19 year old mm. boy who's never kissed a girl in real life and lives in his mom's basement and you know plays dungeons and dragons all day and while i'm sure that that does fit the mold for some um that's not who a porn addict is there is no stereotypical porn addict so i wanted to tell my story put that down on paper um, i did that that came out i wrote that in 2016 uh, into 17 it came out in january 2018 yep. i figured that that would probably be the end of it or i may get a few addicts writing me and and saying hello i had a ton of addicts write me but more surprisingly was half of the response I got 
were from females who were connected to addicts, whether it was a wife or right. girlfriend, sometimes even mother or sister or just a, just a good friend, um, all wondering what they could do, what they should expect. Because while there was no resources for the porn addict out there, there was even less for the partner or close confidant mm of the porn addict, a male porn addict, if you were a female. So I teamed up with a licensed marriage and family therapist out of California, and we wrote the second book called He's a Porn Addict, Now What? Very simple Q&A format where we look at the uh, uh, world of a woman who has just discovered uh, or suspects that her male partner, male friend, uh, is a porn addict and doesn't quite know what to expect, what to do next. I talk about it from the point of view of being the former addict who had a partner, and then uh, Tony Overbay, the therapist, he talks about it from having worked professionally with people for so many years. He's yep. had hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, couples he's worked with, and and. Uh, one-on-one -on -one with men and women in this situation. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I wrote that book. That came out in January, um, and it was going very well, uh, selling tons of copies. Uh, libraries were snapping it up. Then wow. the pandemic hit, and everything kind of grinded to a halt. Mm. Um, and in doing shows, I, I've probably given more interviews about porn addiction than anybody else on earth in the last three years. And oh, yeah. I, uh, I, and I don't know what second, I don't even know who second place is. <laughs> it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's I, I, I just, I'll just tell you, if if you think you beat me, you come find me. Um, <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll come, we'll compare show notes. Um, anyway, um, I, uh, Everything kind of slowed down at that point. I was doing shows like this, and we started talking about the pandemic and what did I think would happen with pornography. Yeah. And then Pornhub came out and pulled their uh, big stunt of giving a free week's access yeah, to right. uh, Italy, Spain, and France because they were the first three major civilized countries to really be hit hard that you know used Pornhub. Uh, China, it's still you know, not really there. Yeah, they've not got uh, proper internet over there, have they? Ex exactly. So uh, what, what we what uh, happened was it started to go uh, international with the uh, COVID, and I started doing more and more of these shows, and Pornhub was releasing certain statistics, and I had certain theories of why I thought stuff would happen, and my publisher of my second book uh, came to me and said, why don't you write a very quick book about this? You know, you yeah. seem to have plenty of access to data. You've got a lot of theories. Um, instead of doing a 300-page book, do a do a 125-page book, do a 150-page book, That's whatever you want, whatever one, you yeah. want to do. So I decided to kind of just look at where we were from uh, March, beginning of March, till about. Uh, end of May, mid-May, end of May, uh, at what happened with online pornography. I looked at how many uh, people who were recovering addicts fell off the wagon and looked at porn again. I talked to those who didn't fall off the wagon. I looked at the phenomenon of uh, things like OnlyFans and how, how you've got all of these restaurant workers and, and bartenders and waiters and waitresses. And who are these people? They are the young, good-looking people in society. And when you take away their means of an income, then you've got, you know, what are they going to do? Well, suddenly there's this do-it-at-home porn yeah. uh, 
uh, industry popping up. And uh, I looked at I look at OnlyFans, I look at Pornhub and how it grew. But I also look at how I believe that all of the demographic reporting they do with their analytics is absolute uh, BS. Um, and, I, and I get I get fairly in, I mean, that, it's a dry chapter, but I get into, you know, how they uh, they are trying to be the mainstream porn site for people. Right. Uh, yeah, the they, they want to be the number one, don't they? They want to be the go-to people, well, don't they? They're, well, I don't think they care about number one because no. they've never been number one. Everybody thinks that, but they've never been number one. They are the number oh. three or four most popular porn site in the world regularly. Most, yeah. And if you if you look at their the time that someone spends on their porn site, it is about half of what people spend on the other uh, more popular but not well-known porn sites. So the people who are really viewing porn, who are online to view porn, you know, they're spending time at these other sites, which are not as commercial and not as slick. But I think that, you know, the average person who looks at porn, uh, who doesn't look at it very much, or somebody out there who's like, ooh, I heard this person has a sex tape, they'll go to Pornhub to answer yeah. all their porn questions. Uh, but uh, the in trying to be the, I guess, I don't want to say clean, but the uh, corporate mainstream uh, porn site, they yeah. report some very twisted statistics that if you look closely at them, you know, are, are, uh, are trying to hide a lot of things. For instance, really? when they report the people who use their website, uh, as far as age demographics, they don't have an under 18 group. And well, let's yeah. be honest, come on. Yeah, you know, you're going to watch it when you're under 18 without it, a doubt. I'm surprised that's not one of the main people that are going to that, teenage they, kids, you know what I mean? It is. It absolutely is. But they can't yeah. say that yeah. children are using their product. Uh, another thing is that they, uh, you cannot, if you're a producer of porn, you cannot use the word incest on their site. And you, if you search the word incest, you cannot find anything. And I bring this up because the number one genre of porn for the last several years has been incest fantasy. Well, and, like, a, like a mother and son and brother and daughter and all that sort of stuff. Well, but that's... Well, but if you go to Pornhub, you can search sister, you can search stepmother, yeah. you can search father, but you can't search the word incest. So Pornhub is able to say, well, no, nobody looks at incest on our site. And yeah. But if you add up, and I do this in the book, I searched how many times has stepmom said, how many times has stepfather <laughs> said, how many times has sister or brother, and I added up all these numbers, and it was something like 600,000. I don't remember what the number wow. was, but I remember uh, if you every every uh, film that they had, if it was five minutes long, it would take you something like five hundred and forty one years to <laughs> view it all. Jesus, um, and that's just one genre. Is that every single video and the whole site? Or is that just no, one genre? That's just one genre. No, with the, uh, oh no, you'd have to go back to ancient times to, uh, <laughs> to watch. Everything. Just start watching Pornhub, beginning to end. Everything that's on there, you Jesus. you have to be. You know, thousands of years old. Um, yeah, it, it is, and and you know that's what I put out there just to try to yeah. share that, and also the fact that in this pandemic, for the first time ever, a lot of these porn sites, especially the cam sites, had to start recruiting because the demand yeah, just jumped so much for new pornography, which you think there's enough out there, but porn is one of those things where once you use it once, you need some new stuff. Hey, so. People need, there were uh, a lot of these cam companies uh, re, uh, uh, 
recruiting people. And it was, you know, just crazy. Like some of them would offer, usually a lot of these sites do a 50-50 split in money. Mm. Some of these sites started offering 75-80% of commission. Wow. To others targeted specific people. There was one site, which I know, I mean, I know it's to get publicity, but, and it's kind of funny, but they specifically targeted female McDonald's employees who had been <laughs> laid off uh, to come right. and, and, and do, you know, uh, nude modeling and cam work on their site. So I actually talked to uh, about a half dozen of these cam models as well. I think it was four women, two men, uh, including a couple who had just started because yeah. of the pandemic uh, to find out what their position was on why they were doing things and if they worried about you know future repercussions. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the book, I talked to five or six different therapists uh, about what's happening, what why a pandemic makes things worse, um, you know, what can we expect to come out of it? And ultimately, you know, the last person I talked to, I wanted to drive home the point that uh, sexuality is a very individual thing. What might be healthy for you is not healthy for me and vice versa. Um, you know, that's very different as an individual versus someone in a committed couple. Uh, what, what sexuality and intimacy means. I just wanted to leave it on a note that, you know, health, healthy sexuality is important. Uh, you know, I, well, I don't watch pornography and it's not a good choice for me. I fully believe that there are people who can without delivering problems. Yeah. You know, we, we, uh, uh, removing any moral uh, uh, issues away from porn. I believe that it can be consumed without uh, without issue, just like some people can drink without issue and some people can yeah. gamble without issue. Of course. Uh, but so if you do it, that, if you do it, it's, it's that the addiction sort of comes through if you keep doing it too much, much. Same with drinking alcohol and gambling, even drugs as well, it starts to take over. Yeah, absolutely. So that was my third book. That actually uh, came up beginning in July. Um, all of them are available on my website. They're all available through Amazon. Um, so, you know, I, I am now a bit of a, you know, porn addiction expert. I do yeah. coaching and advising with people, uh, both couples and individuals, men and women, as well as the, the betrayed uh, partners. Um, I've got a TED talk coming up here in December oh, wow. that'll uh, hit the internet. Um, and I'm hoping that if we can start to get back to normal, I'll be able to get back out there and go to libraries and churches and colleges um, as I was starting to do before everything hit yeah. the fan. Because, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not anti-pornography per se. I just think that society does not know that there can be severe drawbacks to this. You know, anybody can smoke cigarettes if they want. I don't think anybody smokes without knowing what the dangers are. Yeah. You know, you make that decision, good, bad, smart, stupid. You make the decision to smoke knowing what you're getting into. And I think that as a society, we need to position pornography the same way. I think going into that sort of side of things, I think that is a really good way of putting it, to be quite honest, because when obviously we first chatted about the, the porn addiction, I was completely naive to the whole fact of this was actually a thing. I had something out there. It was, it was a thing, but as you mentioned before, it's like the stereotype and all that sort of stuff. And I'm, I mean, I'm very open-minded and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't want to be like, yeah, that's the sort of aspect of the porn addiction. That's who the people target that the, the kind of, sort of like kind of stereotypical people you mentioned before when it comes to the porn addiction i think it's it is getting that message across because as i said i didn't know much about it at all you know what i mean so when it comes to like a porn addict what actually defines someone as being a porn addict well um 
addiction is addiction is addiction. There are different kinds of addiction. You are going to end up bankrupt if you become a gambling addict. You are probably going to end up dead if you become a heroin addict. You're going to end up crazy overweight if you become a food addict. So while each individual addict uh, or addiction has their own little uh, side effects, what goes on in the brain as far as brain chemistry is basically the same through every addiction. And people talk about, you know, dopamine, but it's actually six different chemicals that are, for lack of a better term, running your pleasure centers. And because usually of trauma or something that happened in your past, uh, which is most addicts have some kind of unresolved trauma, uh, most addiction is really just a symptom of a bigger problem. And that that problem being trauma. people start to use substances like pornography um, to deal with anxiety, to deal with stress as an escape valve, as a feeling, as a way to uh, feel love, as a way to feel control. Um, There are plenty of different reasons, but ultimately it's to fill that gap that the uh, abuse uh, caused, that the trauma usually from abuse caused. Uh, As far as being an addict goes, uh, there are a lot of little subtle definition differences, but I think that the best uh, description of it is that you are involved in a repetitive behavior that despite understanding the negative consequences, you cannot get yourself to quit, regardless of any uh, promise making to yourself, regardless of any you know little diets you go on to try to stop or wean down. You cannot stop this despite the fact that you know it is not good for you. It is not good for the people around you. You simply cannot stop and have uh, negative repercussions because of it. Right. Okay. Well, that uh, make kind of a little bit of sense. Yeah, I, I, I can understand where it was saying. But when, when the as an upon addiction, you mentioned about how it kind of affects people as the addiction. Is it just like it takes? Are you, are you saying like uh, it takes over? Use that you get like can't stop thinking that you have to like right. I need to go well, watch porn now or I need to go exactly. watch this. Exactly, your your day is surrounded by, it. and this is what I tell people who uh, have never had an addiction. Uh, if you and when they ask what's addiction like or you know why yeah. is it bad, uh, I, I tell people to do, try this uh, sometime in the next week when you wake up in the morning. Take your telephone, turn it all the way up, turn all the notifications all the way up, and then take a little note card or you know take take a post-it note and just. This is what this is what you do. You just take this, you put it right across the face of the phone like this, so you can't see what it says. Then put it next to you for the whole day. You're going to get a text, or you're going to get a Snapchat. You're going to get a call. You're going to get a chime. You're going to get a whistle. You're going to get a tweet. Your phone is going to start buzzing, and you're going to want to look at it. Don't. And next time it beeps or buzzes or whistles, don't look at it again. Most people who have tried this cannot go five notifications without yeah. looking at it. I'd probably be the same. I would be the same. I have to admit that. We well, are yeah. a world that is addicted to our phones. Yeah. And you see people driving looking at them. You see, you know, people out on dates looking at them, sitting sure. at the table at the restaurant. Yeah. And the, um, on the train you know, and the subway and all that exactly. sort of stuff. Exactly. And, and, you know, I, 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 I'm not anti-phone at all. But if you want to know what addiction feels like, try not to use your phone. And that's what addiction feels like. And you, like almost everybody, will probably succumb within a couple hours to needing whatever fix it is that that phone gives you. When 
the reality is 10, 15 years ago, you didn't need to know a sports score in the next second. You didn't need to tell no. your friend a four word sentence that could have waited five days. You know, you <laughs> sure. didn't need to find out what Kim Kardashian was wearing today. You know, the, the our phones have become extensions of our hands. And when people are like, well, what's, what's addiction like? I, I tell them, run that experiment because addiction is stopping looking at your phone. And recovery is figuring out how to do everything you could with your phone, but not using your phone. You know, you can't right. use the GPS there anymore. You have to use a map. Like, you know, I can't drink alcohol anymore because I was not only a porn addict, I was an alcoholic. Well, if I go to a bar now, what do I, with friends, you know, because I still want to be social, what do I do? I drink iced tea. That's the change I had to make. And yeah. that's what recovery is. It's getting along with your life and coping with your life, uh, hopefully at the same quality level or even better quality level, but not needing that substance or behavior to feel like you're normal, to feel like you're coping, to feel like that's the only way you can get through the day. Yeah. Well, you see, you mentioned about coping is like a, uh, the recovery process of like uh, different things that you mentioned, that obviously alcohol and cigarettes and all that sort of stuff. What would you say would be the recovery or, uh, uh, process with pornography, though? Because when you look at everyone looks at pornography, you have to say, oh, yeah, I like to do it. Just kind of we all have needs and all that sort of stuff. And not everyone has a partner or uh, right. someone that's, that we can obviously release what we need to do, what we need to uh, release now and, and our drug we but. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's like how, how you can actually because everyone has needs. We've all got we're all animals at the end of the day, we've all got that kind of animalistic instincts. We want to have sex all the time, sort of thing. But if we don't have that sort of outlook, what do we do? What's the out way away from it from porn? Because it's just like how how would you recommend getting through that? Um, you've got the greatest porn computer in your world right here. You don't need to be looking at pornography if what you're looking okay. for is an orgasm. Um you know, that, that's, that's, that's the case. You know, if you can look at porn in a quote unquote healthy way, that's great. But at the end of the day, pornography is nothing but objectification. Mm, um, and, and I think fighting porn is, is ridiculous and trying to get rid of it is ridiculous. Uh, here in the U S we tried prohibition a hundred years ago. <laughs> it didn't work. Uh, yeah. getting rid of porn isn't going to work because you can go look at the ancient Phoenician caves and the cave paintings, and yeah. you're going to find some triple X stuff on those walls. Or you go to a museum and you look at, you know, Egyptian pottery that's 5,000 years old, you know, depicting the Kama Sutra on it. Uh, and so Pornography's always been around. People wanting to look at it has always been around, but at its core, it is objectification. And what science has found is if you continue to go back to that, if you continue to have that objectification codified into your mind, you know, when you're driving down the street, oh, there's a there's a hot girl's ass. Oh, you know, there there's there's some boobs. You know, you get online and you know. All of these, for instance, all of these porn sites that are based on celebrities, you know, it's it's based yeah. on seeing this person on a screen and wanting to know what they look like naked. The fantasy um, aspect which, of everything, which, isn't it? Yeah. Which when, when you say that out loud, oh, I like this actress in this movie, I wonder if I can see her naked is a little bit strange when you say it out loud, but these sites are huge. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's ultimately, you know, what you're doing is training your mind to view people in a certain way. Um, I had a conversation recently with the um, 
one of the counselors of a health center at a college where I was giving a speech. And she talked about how she ran a couple of sexuality groups. And okay. one of them was just for females. And about 12 uh, young women who get together and talked about sex, sexuality, and, and things around it. And they all uniformly agreed that they did not like to be with virgin men. Because virgin men have grown up watching pornography and have this belief that women want to be dominated, that sex is supposed to be aggressive. And they have found that the first time they're with guys, guys tend to be this, you know, try to act this alpha male character that they've seen in porn for so long. And porn is basically the man is the aggressor and the female is the, you know, uh, the yeah, damsel in distress yeah. uh, you know and and she's just there for your pleasure and that's why these women don't want to be with virgins it has nothing to do with their experience or anything they just know that the young men who are having sex for the first time their minds have been clouded by pornography you think so, that's normal yeah yeah and that's and that's it is that you know they have been indoctrinated they have been taught essentially that this is what sex is because their only entry to sex to this point has been pornography and that is and those of us who you know have been in relationships or are older and have had sex or sex with multiple partners over yeah, our lives that, yeah. we know that this is not what you know pornography and sex uh, are, are two very different, different things. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, you mentioned about that before. I mean, I think this is going to be an issue with young kids as well. When you're looking at teenagers running about, well, 13, 14, 15 sort of era, when they're watching this, they, they, they're taking into their account that this is real, but it's so degrading towards women because you've seen the stuff that they do on there. They, they can do all sorts of things. And these young kids are thinking that this is normal. And I watched a documentary this a number of years ago, which just literally just popped in my head as you were talking about it. And they were talking to these kids. And they were like, on one side, it was a group of guys. And on the other side, it was a group of women. It was in the UK. And the group of guys, and this the woman was talking about pornography, and the group of guys were like, yeah, we watch porn, blah, 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 blah. And then they were talking about it, saying, what would you do if you're on a night out with, if you were having, like, kind of, well, like, kind of sex with one of these girls across there? And what they were saying was, like, my, my jaw hit the floor, because they were literally describing a typical porn film, you know what I mean? And they yeah. were like, doing, oh, yeah, I would slap a bit, do this, smack a bit, and I'm like... Holy shit, this is, these are kids that have not even had sex yet. They're virgin kids who have not had sex, and this is their idea of what women are like. And it's, it, 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 I think that's going to be a major problem coming. It might be a major problem now, I don't know, but it's well, definitely going to be soon. When I talk to a group of young people, one of the uh, slightly more graphic statistics I throw at them is in reality, less than one out of five people have had anal sex less than one out of eight people have had a three-way yet okay. you look at pornography and you think it's up around 80 90 yeah. percent and that's not the truth that you know that's just the fantasy that's on screen that's what's there to sell the product yes um, the fantasy side and, and that the... and, and yeah that that's the thing is that the reality of uh whether it's just casual sex or actual you know intimate relations uh it does not match up what's on the screen and that's really one of the reasons why i think porn is having a a harmful 
ripple effect and why we need some education around yeah. it right now is because guys are being raised on the internet. You know, I had to find magazines. I had to find video yeah. games. Back in the and, day, the hustling magazines and the Playboys and all that. Exactly. Sort of yeah. Exactly. And now, you know, you go on to Pornhub or, you know, like I said, every 12-year-old kid has the greatest porn Got a phone. It's ever easy invented. as well. And, you know, you can see a horse screwing two girls <laughs> while three, three midgets watch and flames are shooting off in the background. You know, <laughs> there's anything you're going to find out there. Yeah. And, you know, a, a, a guy and a girl were, you know, as extreme as it got back in, you know, when you and I first were introduced to this stuff. And, you know, while, while I joke about it, it's so extreme now that uh, – we're just learning what the first generation raised on the internet, what happens to them and their minds sexually yeah. and their, their societal mores and taboos, how just relaxed, how liberal they've become, how not a big deal it is. Again, with OnlyFans, girls just signing up for that. Um, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day, and I said, back when I was in high school, if you saw a picture of you know one of the pretty girls in a bikini it was like oh my god look at this oh, yeah. well now with instagram every girl has multiple bikini shots out there and not it's just that it. with the amount of well with the amount of revenge porn and yeah. dumb guys and girls taking pictures of themselves and sending them to each other yeah. it gets out there to other people so you know kids in high school now they know what a lot of their peers look like naked you know because yeah. of all this porn that they're making on their own what happens when these people who were not given any real uh direction with pornography what happens when they become parents and grandparents what happens to their kids uh because we've seen kind of this uh no holds barred world when it comes towards pornography now that just in the last 20 years of of the internet becoming bigger um I don't know what's going to happen in 20 years, but I think we need to talk about it and talk about where do we want to be in 20 years? Yeah. Because we can't change what happened in the last 20 years. We are being reactive to it now. We need to be proactive in our education and in our uh, advocacy of uh, learning more about porn addiction and what pornography can actually do to you. Yeah, I mean, what you were saying as well with uh, when you you mentioned about the, the how it's going to evolve when it, the past twenty years, but we've kind of let it. We've not let it evolve naturally. We've just we've let the companies who are in charge of all this tell us, and they've obviously supply and demand sort of thing. What are people into and all that sort of stuff, and they go off all the statistics. And I think that's the way it will go. As you say, it's getting worse and worse because people nowadays, with the access to the internet, with access to a lot of this information, are used to a hell of a lot of worse stuff now than we were. I mean, back in the day, where you mentioned about um, when we were kids, it's like, oh yeah, like, bikini shots from like uh, the magazines, and uh, we used, to, for instance, we used to um, uh, over here on a, a, a Sky, a cable TV channel called Television X. We used to they used to have a ten minute free view for, from midnight till ten past midnight. We used to tape it and share it all with our friends, and that was nothing. And that was like the best thing ever. But now that, that that's you can see that on bloody Instagram or on Facebook yeah. sort of thing. You're like, what? So I, I think you're completely right. Is you have to really take charge of what we're looking at and how we actually want to kind of um, not govern it, but uh, make people aware more than anything else. Right. And that's gonna be that, that's the crucial. I think that is incredibly crucial. Yeah, it's just it's 
you make better decisions when you have knowledge. Now, why did I not become a heroin addict or a meth addict? I don't know exactly. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that my parents told me drugs were bad, that uh, in school there was a health class that told me drugs were bad, that on television society has, you know, talked about drugs being being bad. So I didn't go in that direction. But I don't remember anybody ever saying that pictures of naked girls were bad. Um, I don't remember, you know, I, I, I know that alcoholism was a thing, but everybody on earth drinks. So I didn't think that was going to be a bad thing. Um, you know, I, I don't think that uh, we're giving people enough information out there to make good decisions. There are always going to be people who don't make good decisions. There are always going to be contrarians. There are always going to be people be people who think they know better. Um, usually those people have karma hit them in the head like a shovel at some point. Um, but with porn, you know, there are so many people out there who are being affected. Uh, a scary statistic uh, in the U.S. is uh, it's a couple years old now, so it's probably worse. Uh, there was a huge uh, survey done of men of all ages. And between the ages of 18 and 30, 32% of men said that they either watched too much pornography, had a pornography problem, or believed that they were full-on addicted. That's one out of three men in the U.S. under 30 who said that they have an issue with pornography. Wow. Now, if you follow the way statistics grow over time and the way that these have grown over time, yeah. that 30%, maybe 35 or 40% in 10 years, it may be 50% in 20 years. Now, if we don't start dealing with these guys, what happens when a third of the population is not under 30 and addicted to porn? But what happens when a third of the population or even more is under 50 and addicted to porn or under 60 addicted to porn? And you're having these other groups pop up. You know, we talk about, you know, the pornography that you and I grew up on. It was geared towards us. Pornography yeah. has always been geared towards the straight white male because that was the largest demographic. And back in the day, it costs a lot of money to make a magazine. It costs a lot of money to make a movie it doesn't cost much money to put a film clip up on the internet so when you look at statistics about who are now having the biggest jumps in pornography addiction you're seeing groups like white women like black men like mm -hmm. bisexual are seeing these big uh, push because it's so cheap to produce pornography now that you can produce it for black male audience or a white female audience yeah cater you can cater to however you need to sort of thing yeah and uh so that that's why you're seeing that so i you know we need it to be across the board everybody learns about this this isn't a white male thing this isn't mm. just a guy thing it's not a younger guy thing this really affects everybody and this is only going to keep bringing more and more people in and that's part of the issue with the pandemic because when you're stuck at home and there's hands. nothing to do and you're not interacting with people well what is it a lot of people do already in front of their computer when nobody's watching <laughs> well, now you have all day to do it and yeah, you can, you know, I, I always tell people you're not the porn you look at, but people regularly tend to get, you know, more extreme and more uh, out there with the porn that they look at. The longer they sit in front of a computer and look at it or the more frequently they do. Again, it goes back to those receptors and pleasure centers in your mind that need to be tweaked a little harder each time. 
much like how beer turned into wine turned into hard liquor for me, you know, I needed stuff to escalate there. And the average person does. Um, They need things to escalate to feel that same high. Mm. So people stuck at home trying to feel something, they know porn, you know, at least an orgasm makes them feel good while they keep watching porn. um, You know, a lot of people talk about this elusive search for the right clip. No, I, I don't want, I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I don't want to finish now. I have to find the perfect clip, the perfect person, yeah. the perfect. And it's just again and again and again, you hear this of people who go online to have a porn session of 30 minutes, suddenly recognize four hours has gone by <laughs> and they haven't found exactly what they're what looking for because what they're looking for isn't out there because what they're looking for isn't going to be found on a computer screen. Yeah, because it's the old joke you always hear. It's like nobody will look at page two of Google, but they'll look at like page 30 of a porn site sort of thing. You know yeah, what I mean? And yeah, exactly. That relates big time into that. So when, when you, you, you see you've got loads of like, people listening to this and they're like kind of on the fence of porn addiction, they don't know much about it. What would you, how would you class someone like who, I wouldn't say how would you class someone who has got a porn addiction? How would, how did you, when you went through it, how did you know that you had this addiction? What was the realization that sort of moment you went, shit, I need to sort myself out here? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you the first time I ever saw pornography, I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, older cousin of mine had a couple of penthouse or hustler magazines. Mm. And I tell you the moment I looked at them, I knew that I was looking at something something that was just going to play a role in my life, something that felt good, something that made me feel good. And, and I don't think it had to do with, with sex or, or right. necessarily the people on the page and what they were doing. Uh, it just, there was just this sense that hit me, much like the first time I ever got drunk about two years later, just this sense of euphoria and this sense of, you know, at being at ease for the first time. And so I knew almost from day one with both of the porn and alcohol that I was addicted, I recognized truly that I used pornography different than people my age. When I was probably about 16, 17 years old, I was on the soccer team in high school and uh, we all went over to one of the guy's houses after practice and uh, somebody had a porno movie. So they popped it to the VCR and a lot of these guys it became like Mystery Science Theater 3000 with everybody just cracking jokes and making fun and do and, and I'm sitting there. Comfortable as possible, sort of thing. Well, yeah, yeah, but but they were truly having fun with it, and I was very uncomfortable because that I would have rather been by myself. I wanted this video, I wanted to borrow it, but I wanted to be by myself. <laughs> right. I didn't, you know, I I didn't drink in huge groups usually. Mm. I, you know, obviously I didn't look at porn in huge groups. You know, most addicts they uh, they get into their addiction as a solitary type thing. So they can live in their own mind. And when I recognized that, you know, not just porn was a joke, but that porn was a recreational activity for people my age or or the healthy people my age, uh, I knew that something was different there. And, you know, I can trace back my entire life when things were uh, more stressful, uh, when things were at their worst, I was looking at more pornography. And when things were doing well, you know, after shortly after I got married or right after I became a father or, you know, was doing well at work, I wouldn't be looking at as much, much like I wouldn't be drinking as much. You know, right. it, porn and alcohol were my crutches. Um, and I knew that there was always a problem. Um, I just 
didn't, I couldn't imagine a world without those things. And I was functional enough that I wasn't going to go try to fix anything because this is what worked for me. Um, You know, I can drink in public and I can look at porn when no one's around. Um, This is how I cope. Um, You know, some people like to jog. I like to look at porn and drink. That's, I kind of thought that was just the way it was. Because that's it's the most, do you think it was just because it was just like accepted more than anything else? Well, but I also hit it so well. Right. You know, it, you know, for uh, women who wonder a lot of times, you know, did I do something to my husband? Did I do something to my boyfriend? No, he had this long before he ever met you. You have mm. nothing, to, nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, I had been a porn addict, I believe, for probably a good 10, 12 years before I ever met my wife. And wow. in 10, 12 years, I learned how to hide it from my parents. I learned how to hide it from girlfriends, from roommates. Uh, I learned from friends. I learned how to hide uh, these addictions from people. I learned when to uh, imbibe in the alcohol or imbibe in the pornography. Um, I knew how to work the ankles. I got good at it. You know, yeah. part of being an addict is being a you know huge good manipulator. Yeah, you know, you're a huge. You're a liar. You're a manipulator. You do what you have to do to get what you need to get that relief. That's why you're an addict, and you learn how to work people. So uh, it was one of those things where my wife didn't know for many years. She knew I looked at a little porn because she looked at a little porn. She wasn't yeah. a prude, but she had no idea when she and I were watching porn together. I hated doing that with her because you just wanted to do it yourself. So I want to do it myself because that's when I got my most relief. And, you know, and I'm not talking, you know, orgasm relief, just my mind relief that I could be with myself. I could, I hated being alone by myself. I think that's why I overachieved with work and Mm. so many other things was because it was easier to play the role of magazine publisher or play the role of city councilor than it was to just sit by myself at home and try to deal with myself without the pornography or alcohol. Right. I mean, when you come down to you, you, the, the, the porn addiction you had, what was the ramifications of that addiction? Uh, what, what, how did it affect you and a life and your personal life and even your work life? Uh, it's hard to say for most of it when it was just kind of a continual plateau and a line where I had them as I had it as a crutch. It was always there when I needed it because I don't know what life was like without it. Right. I maybe I instead of instead of running a regional magazine in a you know poorly populated state in the US, maybe I'd be running a national magazine in New York City or, you know, Los Angeles. Mm. Who knows what would have happened to me if porn <laughs> hadn't been such a big thing. But, you know, it wasn't really, uh, you know, until the end uh, when I pulled myself off of bipolar medication that I had been on um, because my magazine uh, business was starting to fail. And I, I'd been on bipolar meds for about a dozen years at that point, maybe even maybe 15 years at that point back in 2003. And I decided to pull myself off of these meds because I somewhat romanticized a world before them where I was more creative, where I had more energy, where I could solve problems fast and I could fix anything and things always went my way. Well, that's romanticizing the uh, mania. 
And having been on these meds for so many years, that's, that's what happened. I pulled myself off the meds uh, in early 2003 and within two or three weeks, uh, when they were out of my system, when they were out of my system, I didn't tap into a manic side in the way that I hoped. I just needed to get any relief. So I started drinking basically around the clock. I started looking at porn much, much more to the point where just looking at a screen wasn't enough. So I started to go into chat rooms and oh, going really? into, and I wasn't even, I got to the point where I wasn't even using them for, for sexual gratification. You know, I was using them because I needed to manipulate and control the woman on the other end of the computer. That's where, I, that was my way of feeling right. better was eliciting control. And in recovery, I've learned that goes back to, you know, being abused as a kid and yeah. not having control then. And, you know, with my magazine falling apart at the same time, my drinking was getting worse. Uh, my family life was pretty shattered at that point uh, because I'd been ignoring everybody. You know, it was a bit of a perfect storm. And the only place that I could assert any power was in these chat rooms late at night, convincing women who otherwise said, oh, no, I'll never show you anything, you know, breaking them down for two hours and gaining their trust and grooming them and convincing them to do this. And a a horribly shitty thing to do. I mean, and I, I, I knew it then, and of course I know it now, and I don't make excuses for it. Um, But then in March of 2014, the uh, state police came to my door and I, I thought, I knew they were the police looking out the windows. You don't need to watch cop shows from the 80s to know what unmarked cars look like. Yeah, of course. Because, uh, like, you know, where do you buy these crappy sedans? <laughs> yeah. um, or, or, or that one blue van. Um, and <laughs> the, I, I, the big I, satellite dish that's all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They pulled, up, they pulled up and I was like, okay, this is the police. And, you know, something major is happening. I had no idea what it was. And uh, they came to my door and uh, I was able to see the search warrant he was holding and made out enough of what it was to figure it out that they said that I had spoken and interacted with inappropriately with a teenage girl online. Um, Uh, They came in March. They said that I did this back in November and uh, I let them in the house because that's what you do when you, a policeman brings a search warrant. Of course. And, and, uh, they came in and they laid it out for me. They're like, you know, and, and I basically fessed up to everything. I, I don't believe that I knew she was a teenager, but I don't know in my drunken, messed up state that I would have known or I would have cared. As long as she didn't look like a child, I didn't care. But the reality is I've known since I was a kid to this day today that there are 16-year-old girls who look 26 and 26-year-old girls who look God, it's 16. Getting worse. It's getting worse it's, now. It's, it's getting worse and worse, but that's not an excuse hmm. um, to engage in that way with a 16-year-old. And the other fact is, you know, I don't blame the addiction. I know that I lost certain faculties, I, especially in the moments that I was drinking, which was all the time at that point. I know that cause and effect became very blurred, but the reality is I also knew that I had a uh, mental health condition of bipolar disorder and I decided to pull myself off of the meds thinking I could save my company and not only could I not do that but it completely backfired on me and it caused this condition that allowed me to I mean this is cheating on my wife I know it wasn't you know having sex with with somebody but to to 
Uh, and whether she was 16, 26, or 36, it's a really shitty thing to do to anybody to manipulate them. And, and they didn't realize it was me they were talking to because I had a video playing on the screen of a much better looking 25-year-old guy. Um, so they wow. thought they were talking to somebody else entirely. So it was a really scuzzy thing to do. I stopped taking my meds uh, for the benefit of one thing, yet this happened. So I can't blame any of the women. I can't blame blame, you know, this, this uh, teenage girl. I can't blame anybody but myself. I absolutely uh, screwed up. I absolutely made horrible decisions. Um, and, and it's on me. You know, I, I try when I do interviews, when I write about it, when I talk about it, I try not to minimize or rationalize what I did. You know, we're now going back seven years this girl somewhere now is in her 20s. I hope she's not screwed up because of this. Mm. I hope that this was just one of those things she did, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it, it happened, and it was the impetus uh, or the beginning impetus for me trying to learn about this problem, trying to get into recovery, yeah. recognizing there weren't these resources out there and that people like me needed these resources. Um, so... You know, now I can look back and see those police at the door, uh, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, you know, they're almost, they, they, they weren't devils at my door, they were almost angels, because at this point in my life, I am physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally happier than I've ever been. Fantastic. I have better relationships with my parents, with my kids, with my wife, with a couple of my friends who stuck around. Um, you know, I, I'm better off than I ever have been in my life because I've gone through this recovery process. So um, I'm really, really sorry. And I hope that I didn't cause any lasting damage to any people who you would consider a victim of mine. Um, part of why I'm doing this is hopefully I can save far more people than I hurt. And yeah. maybe at the end, that's a nit good. That's it, and highlight what it actually can do if it's taken too far sort of thing and well, show to people this is what can happen if you don't take take this addiction that you've got and realize what you're doing this is what the sort of stuff that could happen well that's exactly true and when i would get one of these women to you know i like i said i would get her online she would be think she's talking to somebody different yeah. on half of my screen like right now you know half my screen is basically the zoom box that you and I are talking in. And on the other half of my screen, it's the browser from what I was doing earlier. Well, right. if I wanted to right now, if you didn't see me and you just saw this video and I was typing my answers to you, you'd have no idea what I was doing on that half yeah, you of the don't. screen. Yeah, especially so, about seven years ago, that, that was it. You didn't really have like the video chat is, is, exactly, is exactly. open and, as now. Yeah. So Myself being, you know, having years as an investigative reporter, being pretty good, being able to read people, being a manipulator, I am able to ask certain questions where you don't realize how much information you're really giving me. Mm. And I could get pieces of information like if uh, if a woman said that she, uh, you know, she she mentioned a school she went to, a college she went to, uh, and I oh, well, I had a cousin who went there. He graduated in uh, two thousand. 12. Oh, I graduated in 2010. Okay, I know the college and I know your first name and I know the time you graduated. Within three minutes, I can be on your Facebook page. And within three Jesus. minutes, I can be on your Instagram page. And if I'm on your Facebook page and I see, oh, look at all of this uh, horse riding or horse jumping. Oh, you're a competitive horse jumper. Okay, well, in the next five minutes, guess what? 
my sister is a competitive horse jumper. So you start to feel a connection to me. Or I see that your grandmother died a month ago. Well, all of a sudden, my grandmother died a month ago. To build these connections and to groom them. The rapport and the relationship. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing is that that's what it was about. It was about control. The Mm. porn addiction was never about sex or nudity or masturbating or orgasms. It was about control because when you open up the page of a magazine, that woman can't say no. That man can't say no. When you put on a video clip from Pornhub, they can't say no to you. And you know what? If you don't want, if you don't want uh, that man and that woman, well, you can go get an Asian man, an Asian woman, or a black man, or a black woman, or three Kiss women, or three men. You can do any combination of anything that you want these days. And they can never say no. You are in total control. And I while as my porn addiction grew my need for control grew so it went into the chat rooms and it started to manipulate these these women when it manifested as something a lot more worse than what it was before that's why you can can say it evolved into that sort of thing you know you as you mentioned with the different side of porn that you can watch it gets worse and worse and worse and then as you and your sort of case it went from porn into the chat rooms and then manipulating actually real people sort of thing and if I hadn't been stopped, I would not have been surprised if within a year I was actually meeting women outside of the computer because that's wow. a lot of times where it will go. But, you know, um, when I was talking to these women at the very end of one of our successful sessions, and the thing was, I would be up three hours at night sometimes trying to find someone, and sometimes you didn't find the person. Sometimes you couldn't reel them in. But when I had a successful session and felt great about myself, at the very end, I'd take a couple screen captures as trophies. If you walked into my office at the, at the magazine, um, you would have seen all kinds of trophies on my wall from different groups and certificates and all this, not to show you and prove to you how awesome I was, but they were on the wall to prove to me how awesome I was. Because I needed, yeah. I needed that reinforcement again and again. So when the police came and you know they were like, we caught you doing this and this, and you know I actually got nailed on on a charge of production of underage pornography because I had two screen captures of this female wow. because it was a trophy. I never went back and used these trophies for uh, sex purposes or gratification. I looked at them if I felt bad about myself that day, if I felt like I was a loser because, hey, here's another trophy. Here's a trophy. You did this. Much like there was on behind me on the wall in my office, these pictures of these women were my trophies. Um, you know, if I, if I wanted nudity, I know how the internet worked. I could find it. This was on a whole other level. And this is when you reach the absolute critical point of addiction mm. where you're not getting saved. There's probably no coming back. Um, you know, unfortunately, with, with certain other uh, addictions, it often ends up in death. Um, yeah. You know, I, with, with porn addiction and with what I did, you know, I ended up six months in jail. Oh, and, was that, was that and, what they, they gave you for that? Six months, was it? They gave me nine months, but good behavior, reduced, blah, blah, blah. Uh, It ended up being uh, six months and six days. Wow. Wow. It just, it just shows that what, how it can manifest into something, something is, I wouldn't say is like blase, but something is people don't take as serious and how it actually can manifest into something is something like that is it's, it's shocking really to be fair. 
Well, and that's why I tell guys out there who I know that there are guys listening to this show right now. I know that there are guys saying I, I may have a porn addiction or I probably have a porn yeah. addiction, but good Lord, it would never get to the point that I'm, you know, trying to get a 16 year old to flash me in a, in a chat room. And all I can tell you is that my addiction didn't go there for 20 years either. I'm the last person I would have thought would be there for 99.9% of my addiction. I couldn't have got on a computer and essentially cheated on my wife that way. I, I reached a point because of the, the lack of medication within me uh, and the increased alcohol that I reached a point where I made decisions that were completely unlike me. And the reality is if I, a white collar, local celebrity businessman, two kids, three dogs, great wife, nice house. If yep. I can be a porn addict that gets to this point that he goes to jail for it, anybody can. Wow. That's it. Well, that's it. It's the, the, it's the shade with, with alcohol and drugs and stuff. There is no um, like kind of stereotype with this. Especially with like, pornography, it could be anyone. It could be like your, it could be your boss, it could be your brother, it could be your sister, it could be anyone. We just hiding it so well. So when you you came out of jail, sort of thing, and you were you getting help in jail? Uh, and uh, no, well, I was I was arrested in uh, March two thousand fourteen, right. um, and my uh, I. I didn't look at porn after my arrest. I still drank for about another week. Oh, really? Uh, but then uh, when I went to my lawyer's office, I saw my lawyer uh, a day after I was arrested. And it was front page news. It was on TV news. I mean, it was a big deal. Wow. Um, I went and saw my lawyer, uh, brought my father and who's a friend of the lawyer and introduced us and brought my wife. And the first he had, he had, you know, his first question was, is this a sentencing game or is this a litigation game? And I said, no, it's a sentencing game because mm. they've got me. I, I can't deny it. This, this, this happened. And he said, okay. He said, well, do you have any drug or alcohol issues? And I said, no, not at all. And my uh, father and my wife both immediately said, no, he's got a drinking problem. Oh, it's straight. We should even realize by that point. Oh yeah, yeah, they realized it, but I couldn't hide that. I mean, it yeah. was, and they weren't they yeah. weren't looking for the porn, but I wasn't hiding the alcohol. The alcohol, so yeah. I said, so I said to the lawyer, "Well, you know, if you want to send me off to rehab for 28 days to get a certificate, so it looks good for the judge, that's great. I'll go. Yeah, send me away for 28 days." And he said, "No, wait, stop, stop, stop." He said, "Listen." You may go to jail for 10 years. You may not go to jail at all. You may be on probation for 10 years. You may not be on probation at all. One day, though, this entire legal thing is going to be over for you. Do you want to be the same asshole that you are now? Because you're not a healthy person right now. You're a very sick person right now yeah. who made lots of bad decisions. Do you want to keep being this guy and pretend that you know this didn't have anything to do with it? Is it? Go off. I'll talk to the DA. The DA knows you because uh, I actually had interviewed the DA for my magazine a couple months earlier. Wow. Uh, the DA knows you. The DA already told me that whatever help you need to go get, go get it. So I actually spent the next two years um, after I was arrested, I went to alcoholism rehab out in California. I was there for 70 days, not 28. And then uh, I came back, did a hell of a lot of therapy with the therapist I still see to this day, but I was seeing her three days a week then, um, you know, wow, two wow. hours at a time. Um, now I go once every three or four weeks for an hour. Um, 
but so I was in some intense therapy. I was reading about as much as I could about it. Um, and then I went off to uh, rehab for sex and pornography. And I was at that place for 50 days um, in Texas and came back home and went through the legal system. And ultimately, uh, they decided that it would be uh, nine months um, because that would keep me at the county jail level. It didn't put me into state it's prison. State it kept prison. me in county jail, um, which, which was better for me. Uh, but ironically, I went into jail two years after being arrested, the healthiest version of myself I'd ever been. You know, the right. guy who did those that offense, he was long dead when yeah, I went gone. and served the time in jail. So I was sitting in jail, you know, reading books all day long, writing other things. I didn't want to learn to play cards. I didn't want to watch, you know, every superhero movie that's ever been made, which <laughs> seemed to be the only two things that guys do in jail. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I just, I started talking to the other people I was in jail with. They knew who I was because of my stature in the community. And the first couple of weeks, once they started to trust me, I'd have a guy come over and be like, well, you know, I work at this place and all the, all my friends go to lunch, but I go into my car and I watch porn on my phone and I have to do that every day. And when I get home from work before I even, you know, do anything with my wife or say hello, I have to sit in the driveway and watch some porn on my phone. Do you think this is a problem? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, or, you know, a guy who's 24, 25, who he's been with the same, he's with the same woman he's been with since he was 14 years old. Oh, but he's also been with 800 other women at the same time in between. Yeah. Is that a sex addiction problem? Well, clear, yeah, it clearly sounds it is. like it. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. So what's what really shocked me uh, with these the interaction of these men was that they had no trouble telling stories about their armed robbery or had no trouble telling stories about their domestic violence or their drug bust, but they were so embarrassed of the sex stuff and of the porn stuff, they didn't want to talk about that. Um, that was what was really, you know, that's what they really hid. And I realized these guys really for just lack of resources, pulling the wrong card in the DNA lottery, they yep. were not very different than the doctors or lawyers that I was in rehab with who had the money and had the resources to go to a proper rehab facility. Yeah. It was mostly just luck that brought people to these two different places and they both needed help and they both needed to know they weren't alone and what they did was not shameful. They were not the porn they looked at. Uh, you know, they made mistakes along the way, but they can be fixed but there's nothing out there saying that there's no books out there. There's nobody saying that. So in jail, I sat and I wrote, I wrote the first draft of right. my first book. I had to write it with miniature golf pencils. You know, those little well, those small ones. You have the scorecards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. And I went through about 60 of these pencils <laughs> writing into Jeez. composition books. Yeah. Uh, my story. When I finished and I got out of jail, I transcribed it into a Microsoft Word document and it was 210,000 words. Wow. And I was like, oh, I have to cut this down. Just so a charge, yeah. I, uh, I cut it down to uh, 85,000 words and then started shopping it around. And while many people were very intrigued in many 
publishers were intrigued. They also had never done anything like that. Yeah, I was going to say, was it how well was it received? So I think well, that bit it like, was whoa. received like, oh my God, this is great. If somebody else had printed this before you and it did well, we would grab this book in a uh, second. They we're not touching they, this because yeah, we're not going to be the they, first. Yeah, they weren't willing yep. to take the plunge first. Nobody wants to be the first Nobody one. Nobody wants to be that guy. So uh, I eventually found somebody who was willing to be that guy, okay, small yeah. publisher. And that, that book allowed me to get a much better publisher for my second and third book. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, better distribution, better PR, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, continuing to do this. I don't know exactly the, the route I'm taking. I, I feel like uh, I offer a lot to the addict and to the partners who are brand new into this. Yeah. Uh, I always push when I when I coach people or I advise people, I stay with them only a short time because I see my job is getting them to a place they're comfortable enough to get real therapy. Because, you know, I talked about the porn and therapy. I, you know, we dealt with that. But what we dealt with was the abuse that happened to me when I was a kid. Yeah, how that, how back, that yeah. formed my how that formed my survival skills and how those were not the survival skills. While they may be the survival skills of a five-year-old kid who needs to get through the day, they're not the survival skills a 35-year-old man can yeah. traverse the world with. And a lot of these different attitudes that I created over my lifetime a lot of them dating back to that and stuff playing off each other. And I always compartmentalized my life. There was, you know, my life with my parents, my life with my wife and kids, my professional life, my political life. I had all these little boxes. And the reality is uh, there can't be boxes. Life is completely intermeshed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like I tried to make a bunch of little puzzles when the reality is I was, life is one large jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, all the pieces connect, even if they're not right next door to each other, all the pieces eventually connect and you have to learn how they connect. And when I learned how I became the person I did, quitting porn or staying off of porn staying off of alcohol wasn't nearly as difficult as I thought it would be because I learned what was going on at the core. Had I just tried to quit porn, just tried to quit alcohol without doing the hard, deep work, I don't think I could have done it. Yeah, that's the same with probably every addiction as well. So I think you'd have to, you have to go down to the real root problem. There must be, a, what's the reason, what you're hiding, what you're trying to mask over, you know, let, let's get to the root. And uh, yeah, I completely understand why that is. And uh, it sounds, it's, it sounds you've been on a hell of a journey and I really, it's, it's an amazing how you're actually speaking out and helping people go through that themselves. With them, um, I say if you, if you if, what would you, sort of advice would you say, someone listening to this saying like, I think I've got a problem, what would you go, how would you go about like, as a groups, as a like uh, any sort of counseling you go to? Yeah, or? and you know, if if you want to look at all the different modalities, check out my website, which is recoveringpornaddict.com. Um, I have a page of resources. It links to twelve-step groups. It links to online forums. You know, there are links to not only my books but other books. Right. Um, and I also do write a lot about recovery and a lot about what my life was like when I was an addict. So you can go back and look at a lot of these old articles. I have a lot of guests on there. I have every um, interview like this that I've done going back several years so people can find and listen to other interviews. Um, Fantastic. 
So ultimately, uh, my belief is that you need to first learn a little bit about it, and uh, then you need to talk to somebody about it. I'm out there for people if, if they have some issue going to therapy right away first, because not just through shows like this. A lot of times I'll be on a show like this, and somebody contacts me later on and says, I, I listened or I watched, and you're the first person I ever heard who was a porn addict talk about being a porn addict. Well, mm. that's powerful. But to be a porn addict and have never talked to another porn addict, that's very powerful because, you know what, I'm not going to judge you. I've seen some of the craziest, sickest shit on earth. I'm not going to judge you for looking at it because I know that, you know, we are not the porn we look at. I'm not going to shame you for it. It's not a failure of moralness. It's not that God doesn't like you or anything like that. It's a disease. You got sick. Let's talk about it. Let's talk, you know, let's talk about how you got into pornography. Let's talk about what you got out of it because we all got something out of it you know let's talk let's just have some conversations this will be your first time talking to somebody who isn't going to judge you who you'll feel safe with and Mm -hmm. once you feel safe with me you can learn to feel safe with a therapist who can offer uh advice and knowledge that i'm just not prepared to and that's the thing. That's the thing. It's the shame it's the the, don't be ashamed of it i think that's going to be the one of the main things you probably found that People are just ashamed because, as you mentioned before, right at the very start of a chat, is it's a taboo subject and nobody really wants to admit to this. And I think it's uh, it's the first thing of admitting to something is wrong. That's the only way you're going to fix it. Well, and for all of us, pornography is a bit of a fantasy world. We're going to look at things that we will never do in real life. We're going to look at things that we would, you know, never experience and be part of in real life because we're all curious. We're all sexual beings. You know what 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 ratches it up and that doesn't make you a bad person that makes you a completely average normal person to want to see some of these things um excuse me so ultimately um you know it isn't a failure of anything you've done um you have a brain disease you have the brain disease of addiction and addiction only ends poorly unless you get help it ends with fractured relationships it ends with estranged you know uh family members it ends with financial ruin uh in my case it ended up in jail uh you know Addiction doesn't end well. And if you think you have addiction, not just to pornography, not just of alcohol of any sort, get some help because, you know, it's, I, I think that we all know the downside of addiction either when we get into it, but we just found that thing that soothed us. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I am living testimony. You can find other things that soothe you. You can lead a cleaner life, a healthier life, and even be happier. As weird as that sounds, as much as I wouldn't have believed somebody telling me that, it's absolutely true. You can lead a cleaner, healthier life without your addiction and be happier. Great, great sentiment, that. I, I think that's very powerful. That's a great way of putting it, to be fair, Josh. And I, I commend you for what you're doing. I'll, um, you've you. been through a lot of hell, and you're, you're helping other people to do it. So I'll take my hat off to you, sir. So, so all three books, uh, they're out now, are they? They're out now. You can yep. go on to Amazon.com and find them. You can go on to my website, RecoveringPornAddict.com, and find them. Um, you know, I think that they're good reads. And if you need anything, go through the website, and you can uh, track me down that way. Brilliant. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm, uh, I'm I appreciate you coming on and telling your story and uh, we'll obviously put all your details underneath where people can find you. And uh, I, I take my heart off to you, sir. Hopefully everything will, uh, 
uh, you could fight the good fight and go forward and help people out. I hope so. And, you know, thank you for giving me the time and the platform. There are still a lot of people who this is taboo. This is too squeamish. Yet it yeah. is a public health issue that we need to talk about. So, you know, I can't just do this sitting in front of my computer without you. So thank you very much. No problem at all. I appreciate it. Josh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.